From the stuff your mother never told you to the stuff your doctor never learned, On Health is what happens when a midwife plus a Yale-trained MD shares about all things women's health, from periods to menopause, sex to reproductive health politics, motherhood to mental health. Join me for taboo-busting conversations that demystify and destigmatize our bodies, all while bridging the gap between conventional medicine and wellness. Along the way, we'll be exploring the science and wisdom of how our bodies work, what makes us well, what gets in the way, and how we can live our best lives on our terms. When it comes to women's health and well-being, there's nothing we won't talk about. The new medicine for women is here. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome to the podcast. My guest today, Jillian Tarecki, is a beacon of light and a font of love wisdom. A certified relationship coach, teacher, and writer with over 20 years of experience, she's fueled by an insatiable curiosity about what makes a relationship thrive. And she's helped thousands through her teaching and writing revolutionize their relationship with themselves so they can transform their relationships with others. Jillian has a compassionate, direct, and incredibly authentic style of coaching and teaching, which comes through so clearly in her social media posts and in her podcast, Jillian on Love. And I'm saying all of this from the vantage point of a 57-year-old woman who's been married for 40 years. But I can also say that I have, yeah, I've turned my daughter onto Jillian's podcast and she's in her mid-30s in a totally different stage of relationship. She's like, I love this woman. So Jillian, it's so great to have you on the show today. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me and for the kind words. Really appreciate it. Of course. It's a pleasure. Okay. So we are going to just jump right in. And I am airing this on Valentine's Day. So this is going to be relevant to everyone all year long. But I want to ask you a question. How can women trust themselves in relationships when they've been through hard ones or they keep finding the wrong one? And as part of that, how can women normalize being single so they have kind of that inner strength and patience to kind of wait, if that's what we might call it, or kind of be content and let that right thing happen without it feeling so desperate and forced? Well, there's a lot of questions in that question. (laughs) Because the first one is, I think what you're speaking to is how how to trust oneself and trust their energy and, you know, that they're not, if they've had a lot of relationship hardship, how can they actually trust themselves? And then at the same time, how can they find peace single so that they don't jump into just the the first bed that they think looks cozy? Yeah, because, you know, it's like, there's so much pressure for us to be coupled up. And I know that's easy for me to say as someone who is in a relationship, but there's pressure to stay in relationships when you're in a relationship, no matter how short or long it is. So there's that. And then there's like the human desire to want to sleep with someone that a lot of most of us have and be connected. But then there's also like this, I think there's so much emphasis on trusting ourselves. And that's easy to say if your body messages are coming from a place where you haven't been wounded or injured or gotten hurt before. And so then it's like, wait, is that my body message or is that something else talking? Yeah. So what do you think? So I think that 
nine times out of 10, if not 100% of the time, when we're talking about women, when women find themselves in relationships or choose relationships, I should say, where um, let's just say on one end of the spectrum, they're not being treated well at all. They're actually being mistreated. You may, you know, on the far end of that spectrum, it would be abuse, but then it would just be sort of like, oh, I don't know if this is abuse per se, but it's kind of teetering on that. Or just women who find who keep finding themselves or keep choosing relationships that are not at all abusive or where there's where there's no mistreatment, but that just is fundamentally the wrong relationship for them. The reason why is because they're not listening to their inner voice. They're not listening to that feeling in the body where we retract, where there's sort of like a retraction, like, ugh, that didn't feel good, or like, or the hairs on the back of your neck go up, or you're just like, mm, I don't know if I don't like that because women, we've been so conditioned to second guess ourselves. Yeah. And we do it everywhere, right? We do it in the doctor's office. We do it at work. Oh yeah. A hundred percent to be agreeable, to not pay attention to. And for a lot of women, not all, certainly not. And I think this is changing with younger generations. For a lot of women who are in heterosexual relationships, they're in relationships with men, they have a very unconscious belief that somehow a man's opinion is, is an authority. So I think that a lot of women will think, oh, he must know more than I do. That subconscious conditioning, and then we're also conditioned to be agreeable, and that if we're not agreeable, then we second guess ourselves. So I think that this is a very much a self-esteem thing that that plagues women. And I think that, you know, the more sensitive a woman is, the more she can live in her head. And the more that she's living in her head, the more she's doubting the cues that her body is giving her. And so learning to then trust yourself when, like you said, there might be a lot of hypervigilance as a direct result of being very emotionally wounded, it's important to have someone in your life who you can talk to. And what I would say is to that woman in particular, who's like, I don't know if I can trust my body's intuition. Like I, I have so much anxiety around this and I have so much hypervigilance that I just, I, I can't decipher what is my fear and my neurosis around this versus what's real in my body. And to that woman, because I've worked with a lot of women in that very specific predicament, I said, do not sleep with him. Do not commit to him. Do not make him important in your life until key members of your family and or friends meet him or her. This is so interesting. I was thinking about this recently about arranged marriages and there's so much wrong with arranged marriages. I won't even go there. Bye. But then also think, I know, I was thinking about this recently, how like I would never listen to my mother about my partner. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's no way. And there's this built-in biological thing where we don't typically listen to our moms about 
our partner choice, but I think our moms and our, and our best girlfriends, like they, they kind of do know sometimes. They do. Well, everyone's saying the same thing. That's a big piece. Yeah. And when you do have a lot of hypervigilance and, and you are someone who you don't know if you can trust your body, then you need someone, you need a few people who are um, objective, who can help you. And that really is the way to go. And so within that piece, and it is, you know, Valentine's Day, at least when we're airing, how do we normalize being single, right? A lot of my online community are coupled up and they're moms with kids, but not everybody is and many aren't. So how do we normalize it? There's so much pressure, like every rom-com. I mean, they all end up with the guy gets girl, girl gets guy, right? For the most part, like, and especially on this day. So how do we be at peace? Well, you can think of it this way. A lot of people who are in relationships will have moments of extreme envy of the people who are not. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Right? The grass is always greener on the other side. Look, I'm all for relationship. And the scientific data suggests that when you're in a stable relationship, that that is very good for a person's immune system and overall health and well-being. But if you're not, it actually can deteriorate your immune system. So the important thing is that it is really truly better to be alone than to be in the wrong relationship. And it really is so important. So that's one thing. Another thing is, as much as I believe in relationship, and I really do, you know, you do have to give up a lot of your preferences when you're in a relationship. So it's better to just make the most of the fact that you're single and you have freedom and to really leverage the freedom that you do have. Because to make a relationship thrive, which I'm sure you know, being having been one in 40 years, is that you really, like, we have to practice selflessness. And when you're single and you don't have kids, you can be very self-centered and very selfish. Take advantage of it. (laughs) Yeah. Do things, do things with your life. Don't wait until you're in a couple. And, you know, this idea of pressure to be in a relationship, I think that's starting to change. First of all, it's very American. Well, you see it in other cultures for sure, but you don't see it in a lot of European cultures. You don't see it as much. Same thing with women and aging. I mean, women in their 50s and 60s are considered sex symbols in Italy and Spain and France. Um, and they're not injecting themselves with a bunch of fillers and this and that. I know. I love traveling to Europe. I really enjoy watching British movies and shows, French movies and shows, Spanish movies. I'm like, oh my gosh, these women just look gorgeous and normal. Like yes. normal, healthy people who have lived experience. Like, oh, this is refreshing. It's very refreshing. And they're very much considered in these cultures, um, a lot of them as sex symbols. They're not looked down upon for being single. They're not looked down upon for having been through menopause. Like they're not looked down upon because of like their wrinkles. Like it's a very different thing. So I think that for Valentine's Day, you have to learn how to be your own Valentine and remind yourself that being single is as much of a privilege as being in a relationship. And there is nothing worse than being in a bad relationship. I really don't think there's anything worse than that. 
I honestly think the loneliness of being lonely with someone next to you Ugh. is really its own unique kind of hell. I mean, and you can imagine in a 40-year relationship, we've been through a lot of different things. And I know those moments when they've been hard and it's like, oh. Yes. Not to say being single doesn't have lonely moments that are hard too. It's just- Of course. Yeah. But ultimately a relationship is meant to bring some level of peace into our lives. Even when you go through a hard time, like, you know, it is meant to bring some sort of healing into our lives. It's meant to feel safe. Yeah. You know, that's ultimately it. And, and anytime a couple goes through a rough patch, it's because they're feeling disconnected, unsafe, but when they're committed, then the whole point is to re- you, you you find it again. Yeah. So it's actually appropriate that this is coming out in Valentine's Day. And for people who are single, it's very important to focus on other areas of your life. When you're single and your only focus is, when am I going to meet that person? It's a recipe for disaster. And look, I think as women, we are very much wired for connection and love in a way that men are not. And I think it's really what's important to us. But I think that you have to really try to find that in other areas. I think your partner has to be, in many ways, the most important thing in your life, but also... Not your everything? Well, yeah, not your everything. And also they have to earn that spot in your heart. And I see so many women and men, I see so many people giving that space to someone who they barely know. There's like somehow you are everything. You are my priority. And we're only in like month two. And that's where I see a lot of people making mistakes. You know, one of the things that I I love that your work is infused with is self-esteem and self-worth. And you talk about, and I know it can sound so cliche, like we have to love ourselves and have self-worth before we can love someone else or be in a healthy relationship. But I I'm not sure there's anything actually truer than that. And I wonder if you can talk about how you think of self-worth and how you feel self-worth shows up in a relationship or can make a relationship better or or not. Yeah. So I think that the way that I think about self-worth and the way that I teach to it is really about self-acceptance. So what I see people who have a lower self-worth is that they believe that their flaws are so unique to them and make them unlovable. And the thing is, it's like, we all have things that we're working on. And I think that, and there's some things that are just kind of never going to get better, but you know, there are things and they're just ours, but we got to like ourselves anyway. We have to accept ourselves anyway. and. The problem with not accepting oneself is that then you are at risk of accepting and tolerating pretty crappy behavior from a romantic partner. Funny enough, it doesn't really show up as much in friendships, but when it comes to a romantic relationship, you know, our romantic relationships uh, really very much reflect how we think about ourselves. That being said, there are definitely people who struggle to like themselves and somehow they meet someone who just loves them and sees their light. And those people, they chose the person that really loves them. So it's like, wow, you don't really like yourself, but you made a really good choice. Bravo. So it's not so binary, but 
I would just say if if someone is continuously choosing people that don't support them, aren't there for them, aren't, you know, aren't a good partner to them, then you have to really examine whether or not you believe you deserve what it is that you truly desire. Imagine having access to an ever-expanding library of classes and resources covering everything from prenatal care to nurturing postpartum support to motherhood, all designed to empower you with knowledge and confidence. Now picture yourself in a virtual community of mamas, midwives, doulas, and more that celebrates your journey, offering guidance, support, and exclusive resources to nourish both you and your baby. This is your invitation to join a sisterhood of women embracing informed, empowered pregnancy, birth, and motherhood. The Mama Pathway is not just another childbirth education program. It's a global movement designed to support you through pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and beyond, blending over 40 years of traditional midwifery wisdom and the best of modern maternal health. So whether you're dreaming of becoming a mother, currently navigating pregnancy, or embracing the postpartum period, the Mama Pathway is here to guide you every step of the way. This is Aviva Ram, midwife and MD, inviting you to join me on a transformative path with the Mama Pathway. Dive into supportive classes, guest teachers, connect with our vibrant online community, and find empowerment in weekly support circles and monthly Q&As with me. Let's reclaim the power of our bodies and minds and the beauty of motherhood together. Ready to join me? Head over to avivaram.com forward slash Mama Pathway, and let's get you started. I went to a movie the other day. I saw American Fiction, which was funny and poignant and clever. And there was one point where a woman said to a man she was seeing romantically, I think we only see the potential in other people. And we like look at them as, oh, this person has potential when I'm not fully actually liking the person in front of me. And I think they need to change. You say on your Instagram feed, which I love, um, you need a partner, not a project. And I, I really thought of that when I was watching this movie because I'd been preparing for this interview. I was like, wait a minute, this sounds really familiar. And it is that sense, I think so many women go into relationships, they feel a romantic attraction, which, you know, that falling in love and those hormones and all the things can be so confusing, right? They just kind of knock our cognitive executive function offline at times. But we also, so many women I work with in my practice have met or are in long-term relationships with someone who it started out as kind of a project like, oh, I really like this guy and I know he's really nice. He's really wonderful. Okay. Yeah. So he he doesn't have a job, but uh, he will eventually because he's really smart or all the things, you know what I mean? Talk to me more about this. You need a partner, not a project. You need to see the person who's in front of you. That's the most important thing. You can't see your projection of the ideal. You can't put them on a pedestal. You can't just fall in love with their potential. So that's like, it's the metaphor of you need to take off the rose-colored glasses. You have to take off the glasses of delusion. And you have to be able to see clearly the person who's in front of you, how they're treating you, what their capacity is, not what you hope that they would be, 
not what you would imagine them to be. And I think that this is something that also we have to deal with even in a long-term relationship is that we will always have to choose between our actual partner and who we fantasized or imagined they would be or should be. And so it also ties into managing our expectations because we really can get out of control with our expectations. They are not above you. They are not below you. They're not on a pedestal. They're not better than you. They're not worse than you. But you have to see who the person is and choose that person. And I think that when women in particular of a certain age, which is very understandable because of all the pressure, because of hormones, because of maybe wanting a a family, they will overlook some very important red flags. And this is something that I wanted to bring back to the person you, because we started this conversation with, what do we say to the woman who keeps choosing the wrong partners and listening to her body? This is back to ask your mother, your sister, and your best friend. (laughs) Yes. Because also the reason why someone would consistently, and not once, whatever, but consistently get into relationships that are not good for them is because they were overlooking the red flags. And so being able to distinguish between the actual person versus their potential, the actual person versus your projected ideal and the pedestal, being able to differentiate between what's tolerable and what's intolerable, what's a red flag What's a green flag? Like, these are the things, these are the skills necessary, uh, very specifically when you're choosing someone. So let's say you have a woman, she comes to you, she's met a person, you know, the sexual attraction is overwhelming. All the hormonal things are happening. And she's got this story unfolding of this relationship. And it's like, she's steeped in the romantic love And that is such an overwhelming, consuming, physical, emotional feeling. How do you encourage women to say, all right, let's get to logical brain a little bit. Let's get to like, to hit pause on some of that overwhelming romantic love, which is kind of usually what gets women overlook the red flags, right? Yeah. And men, men do the same thing, actually. I mean, love is not rational and it can make us very dumb. I always, so what I encourage is let's get grounded. Let's take some Mm -hmm. deep breaths. Let's keep remembering that this person is still a stranger. And let's now put our focus onto our lives into overdrive. And it's not easy. It's not easy for some women because being so consumed with romantic love and the prospect of beings with someone can actually be very unregulating for our nervous system. So it's about getting grounded. It's about also having a little sense of humor, like, oh God, I've really, you know, lost myself here. And for some women, this is not universal. For some people, I would suggest that, you know, if you're like, maybe if you're really over head over heels for someone, it's There is a chance, it's not a guarantee, not so binary, but there's a chance that this person actually might not be good for you. But the chemistry and the, you know, it's a very seductive feeling for a woman and just for all all of us to feel that, especially when we have felt so deprived of it for a long time. It's like you're starving and you haven't eaten in days and seeing like a pizza. It's like, you can't, 
you want to eat that pizza, even if you're allergic to it. It's like, you're going to eat it. So I think that it's about getting grounded. It's about understanding maybe the deprivation that you've been feeling. And I think it's about first is to just be aware that that's happening. So building that level of self-awareness, like, oh, I'm ungrounded right now. Like I'm swept up right now. And part of it is really fun. And part of me wants to kind of go with it. But also I know that I have a tendency to when I am feeling this way to put this person on a pedestal and to make them a central character in my life. And I don't even know them. And so I got to watch this. I got to bring this down a notch. And I've got to start now balancing feeling like excited, but really using discernment. That's a lot of what I try to teach is how to be discerning. You said something earlier too, that um, you use the term that we just lose ourselves. And it seems to me that part of this is, and part of a, a lot of aspects of a relationship are coming back to ourselves. For me, that's something very physical. I, I feel that in my body. I feel a, an alignment within myself when I'm feeling that sort of integration where I'm not pulled out of myself. And it's interesting, you were saying about women not trusting ourselves. I've been married for a really long time. I'm a Yale-trained MD. I was a midwife. I've got a New York Times bestseller, four kids, two grandkids. I'm a competent, grounded, capable woman. I could be in the car driving somewhere that I have driven a thousand times, and my husband's the passenger, and he'll say, oh, I think we need to go that way. And even though I know, I know which way to go, and I've gone there a zillion times, somehow something in me gets suspended. Like I go into this weird suspended animation, like some cartoon character and the little circles are going, my eyes zing, 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 Uh zing. Okay, let me go that way. It does feel like almost like a very culturally ingrained stereotypical thing because the other thing is he comes at me with that information as if he's so sure he's right. Mm -hmm. And I automatically default to assuming I'm not right or just don't want to argue. It's such a weird, complicated thing, like all the ways that we might kind of get pulled out of our knowing. Sometimes like they want to sort of like take the lead a little bit and bring them and their partner to safety and to the right place and whatnot. Aw, it's so sh- I love that. It's like a chivalrous way of looking at it. Yeah, I, I do think that sometimes that is it. And I do think sometimes it's also just sort of ego. So, yeah. And I think with that kind of situation, you could either just be like, okay, whatever, let's go that way. Or you could be like, no, I know we're going this right way. It's like pick and choose your battles, you know? Yes, totally. Um, Pick and choose your battles. But I do think it's very gendered in a way. Like I do see a lot of men with directions. Yeah. Well, this is interesting what you're saying. I've interviewed Alexandra Solomon recently and we haven't aired that yet, but she talked about how for men in our culture, the experience of being expected to show up with a certain kind of knowing and information and rightness, and also their deep desire to not be a disappointment to their partner is so ingrained. And I think for me in my relationship, I forget, I'm like this like feminist, right? So I'll be like, what you're doing is so la 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 la, forgetting that he actually has his own ingrained gendered stereotypical behaviors that I just take as him. 
but it's a good reminder. So thank you for that. Yeah. And also men want to feel appreciated and they want to feel needed and they want to feel important as much as we do. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as feminists, we also have to sometimes say to ourselves, well, maybe he's right. Just like he has to be able to say, maybe she's right. Like, I think that that's actually just a really important relationship skill is allowing our partner to once in a while have influence over us. That's beautiful. I want to touch on something that you were talking about in terms of how we can put a perspective or new partner or any partner on a pedestal. I also see a lot of almost the opposite going on. Particularly, I see this in women in longer term relationships. Sometimes we can feel that we are actually tolerating less than we deserve in a relationship. And I know you talk about this as well. Um, You say a lot of people confuse loving someone for who they are with tolerating less than what they deserve in a relationship. So can we talk about when those feelings come up Yeah, and where they come from? And I know sometimes they're, they, we are tolerating less than we, we deserve. So let's talk about this whole constellation. Yeah, this is, and, and a constellation is a beautiful way to put it because it really is a constellation. So it's difficult because I do, a lot of women who gravitate to my work are women who capitulate and agree to be doormats in their relationships. But as someone who has extensive experience just coaching couples, what I will say is that it's a lack of tolerance that plagues relationships more than tolerating less than they deserve. So I've got like my single gals who tolerate less than they deserve. And then when I speak to a lot of people, it's the lack of tolerance. And I think that we have to, these are not my words. I heard Tony Robbins once say, you know, we have to trade our expectations for appreciation. And I think that more times than not, what I've found is that people become They want their partner to be more like them. They want them to be, we have this whole, you know, these imaginings of who our partner would be in 20 years versus who they really are. And that's that's an us problem. That's not a them problem. That's us not appreciating who this person is. That's us not, we have to bring mindfulness into our romantic relationships where we are willing to consistently question whether or not we are projecting unfair expectations onto our partner and not practicing tolerance of just diversity, diversity in thought, diversity in energy, diversity in just who they are versus what is intolerable. And I think that um, that's something that people need to define for themselves. Like what actually is intolerable for you? Am I lacking tolerance in my relationship right now? Did I expect my partner, my spouse of 20 years to give me a life that actually I was responsible for building within myself? This is so interesting. And I think about this a lot. It is difficult. We live in a culture filled with so many conflicting messages, right? On the one hand, we are that competent, independent, entrepreneurial, or high-achieving woman who can put the down payment on our own house and can buy our own car or whatever it is. 
<clears throat> but then we're <clears throat> we're still in a culture where we're fed messages that that our partner is going to be some that men, right? And I don't know how much this shows up in non-heterosexual relationships, but at least in heterosexual relationships. And look, I work with men all the time and I just keep seeing this theme coming up and coming up and coming up. It's like, yes, I know I can do this for myself, but I really wanted my partner to do that for me. Or, or these tropes and expectations that men are still the ones who are sort of these foundational providers of these things. So it's like a lot, creates a lot of internal conflict. But what women don't understand is that part of, like she plays a role in pumping him up enough to actually be that for her. So if she's just going to, because women don't realize how easily they emasculate their male partners. And so it's like, so I have this expectation of you to be a man in my life and you're not reaching that expectation. You're not meeting that expectation. So I'm going to get cold or I'm going to pull away or I'm going to give you some snide remarks. Or I'm going to make it really hard for you to fucking win with me. Mm -hmm. And that just makes things worse. So we do also have a responsibility to kind of to empower our mate to give us what it is that we really desire. Oh my God. It makes it like a hundred percent makes sense. So on the internet right now, and I think this really exploded during COVID, I'm sure you probably saw it in your own socials and your socials numbers, online therapy from actual therapists and from all kinds of other people has just exploded. And on the one hand, I think it's really interesting and great. There's this growing literacy, especially amongst younger women around attachment theory and concepts like gaslighting and narcissism. But it sometimes seems like these kinds of psychological labels are being tossed around without a real understanding of what they mean, which is something I know you learn as a therapist, I learn as a physician. Sometimes they mean very big things. So I've just been curious, like, what do you think of some of the biggest myths and misconceptions around relationship dynamics that you're seeing online and that you, when you see them, you're like, oh, I just want to dispel that. I think, well, just because someone disagrees with you doesn't mean that they're gaslighting you. There are a lot of selfish people out there. They're not necessarily clinically narcissistic. I think that Boundaries are very important, but so are letting people into your life and into your heart. And I think that there's a little bit too much of, you know, it's difficult because where do you strike the balance? You want, you want to empower these people who maybe, you know, gambled away their principles in order to be in a relationship. They gambled away their values in order to be in a relationship. So you kind of have to help that person almost individuate and find their strength. But relationships truly are about we and not me. And I think that where there's been a bit of a problem is that truly it's selfishness that is the biggest problem in relationships. It just is. That is my opinion. Tell me more. Yeah. So I think even people who are truly givers and very loving can be very selfish in a relationship because we get this fear. Am I going to be hurt? Am I going to be abandoned? You know, I'm not, you know, whatever. They didn't pay attention to me. So we do this stuff and we start to just think about our needs. And the, the relationships that thrive the most are ones in which another person, your partner's needs are as, as as important as your own. They're not more important, but they're as important. And you're both kind of 
your team and you both make each other's needs very important. And I think that people are dragging around their baggage and old wounding and trauma from relationship to relationship. And they need to start taking more responsibility for that. And I think that people are also very understandably on guard and not letting people in. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on, but the thing is slapping a diagnosis on someone isn't really helpful. And I think that we start to use, people are starting to use all this therapy speak. So this idea of like, you know, you better be in therapy, you know, you better know your attachment style, like they really are and doing the spiritual bypass. I think that where people are getting tripped up is that there, there's still just so much fear and not enough people really authentically connecting with each other. And um, yeah, just stop analyzing the other person. Just if you get into an argument, they're not gas. Like not everyone is a man. Like we're all, we can all manipulate, like pay attention to how you are showing up in a relationship. That is the most important thing. And when you make that the most important thing, then your standard will automatically be, that is what I want in another person. But a lot of people are wanting that in another person, but they are not applying that standard to themselves. Yeah. I also think too, when you just call someone a narcissist, or think that about them or a gaslight or whatever it is, it's not really saying anything. It's not saying like what the behavior is, what is the person actually doing. And I do think that a lot of these labels are becoming so common that they're starting to lose meaning, but they become really accusatory too, not helpful. You mentioned a term that I think not all my listeners will understand or be familiar with, and that's spiritual bypass. Can you say what that is? There are people who think that they're more evolved emotionally and consciously than they actually are. So that's the spiritual bypass. I do all these things. I meditate. I go on all the retreats. So therefore I'm further along in my human evolution than everyone else. But really what they're doing is that they are completely, they're not a master of their relationships at all. It's a rare and extraordinary thing to see someone who's a master of relationships and someone who has strong character. There's lots of people who might be doing all the things that they should be doing, but it's actually feeding their own narcissism. Like if all day is spent at therapy, you know, meditating, doing all these things. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I mean, I'm a yogi, you know, so it's like, I get it, but that's not necessarily going to get you closer to where you want to be in your relationships, you know, like learning how to, to strengthen your character. And we strengthen our character by doing hard things, by being there for others, by having integrity, right? So there's an alignment, a congruency between our words and our actions. And so I think that what I'm trying to encourage people to do is strengthen character within themselves and make sure that someone that you choose to be in a relationship with has strong character. Yeah, there's such a generosity to the way you talk about love. I really, really appreciate that, the way you're talking about. Really, it's about 
hearing the other person's needs, giving them sort of a charitable assumption of their intentions, looking at even how cultural programming may inform some of our partner's needs and being aware of and even attentive to that. How do we, I'm like, I'm all in and I'm thinking of all the ways that I don't fully do that for my partner. I hear that a lot. Like I'm doing the work because I'm going to yoga class and I'm going to meditation. I'm going to therapy and they're not doing the work, but that work is on themselves. Right. And it may help. Like it may help because they feel more calm. They feel more inner peace. They feel more self-reflection, but it doesn't make them better. No, it's let's do that with a goal in mind. And the goal is how can I be more present for my partner? How can I listen better? How can I repair better? How can I see their perspective more? How can I be more communicative myself so that I don't become resentful, right? So you do all those things, but it's, we do all those things because we're all searching for a greater sense of peace within ourselves. That's what we're searching for. But then we're supposed to take that, that peace, that light, and integrate it into our relational lives. And so it comes to a point of like, so how do we actually connect more profoundly with the people in our lives, all people? And we do that with curiosity. We do that with patience, right? So whereas if I were speaking to a room filled with women who have a history of being treated like doormats, I might be giving them a very different monologue than what I'm presenting right now. But that's a subsection of people. Overall, when it comes to relationship, even that woman is going to have to learn how to not be in survival mode and not go into her you know, BS behavior where she's pulling back and whatnot. You know, I mean... This is the game of relationship. It's like two things determine the quality of a relationship, who we choose and how we choose to show up. And that's it. And it's ongoing. Supplements can be an important way to fill the gaps in our nutrition and can sometimes be a missing link in what conventional medicine doesn't have to offer. When it comes to a whole host of health concerns we face as women and mothers, Finding supplements we can trust isn't always easy. Studies show us that sometimes what we think we're getting isn't actually what's in the bottle. Enter Fullscript, the company I use to meet my own, my family's, and my patients' supplements' needs. With over 300 professional quality products carefully curated to meet our needs from preconception to postpartum, menstrual health to menopause, and our overall wellness, and for products for our children and our partners too. Fullscript attests to the quality of their products, getting you as close as possible to what the products say is on the package. And I'm committed to bringing these to you more affordably. If you use the link avivaram.com forward slash supplements, you'll find an automatic 15% discount on every order. And because my work is mission-driven, I make a percentage of profits available to organizations improving maternal health. Don't worry, you'll find the links in the show notes. Join me in getting better nutritional and herbal supplements for you and yours while doing good for mamas and babies too. You talk a lot about intentionality 
in relationship. What are some of the ways for couples who they have a relationship, they feel like they generally chose the right person, but either they feel like they want to improve aspects of their relationship or they're in a hard patch. What are some of the ways that people can get on the same page and get intentional with each other? I even heard uh, somewhere you talk about thinking of the relationship almost as a business relationship where you really have these conversations and make decisions and enact things together. Yeah. And so within that, how do you approach that with couples? Well, first it's addressing any sort of resentment or anything that has not been said that needs to be said because telling the truth in your relationship is very important. And a lot of people withhold the truth. So that would be the first step, like go through the layers and get to any sort of bitterness or resentment that's happening because resentment causes resistance. And the more resistant we are to our partner, the more attraction fades. So if there's a lot of resistance between two people, the sexual attraction between them actually decreases, right? And so when sexual attraction and passion decreases, the motivation to meet each other's needs decreases as well. And so we have to look at how we're going to build a bridge. And the way that we do that is like, well, where where is the disconnection? Is the disconnection in an old story between the two of you? Is the disconnection in something that you're doing on a daily basis? Is the disconnection happening because one or both of you are feeling disconnected from self in the relationship? You're overwhelmed. You're wearing 5 million different hats and you can't even differentiate between one hat, one role versus the other. And so there's a little bit of overwhelm and burnout. It starts with a commitment and a desire to fight for the love. And fighting for the love means like, okay, the intentionality, like we are going, we're going to roll up our sleeves and we are going to figure this out because we have this thing between us, which is our relationship. And we are the relationship. We have a contract that says that we are going to fight for this thing between us. So that's really where it starts. Do you recommend couples sit down and say, okay, once a week, we're going to do this, or we're going to get a therapist and we're going to do this. What are some of the pragmatic steps? It's not always easy to just say, or or timing is like going to bed at night and saying, I'm going to bring up this resentment that I have. That's not going to be helpful for the relationship. So what are some of the actual steps people can take? I do recommend a meeting, sort of like a business meeting that couples, especially couples who live together, have once a week where they talk about the partnership of the relationship, which is the very unsexy part, but it's like running the ship. You know, what are our responsibilities to make sure that we run our ship as efficiently as possible? And so it's almost like a business meeting and you can't talk about these things throughout the week. It is for the business meeting and for the business meeting only. And it has to end on a high note. Tell me how it ends on a high note. Like, what does that look like? Like you can't end in an argument that has to end with love. Like, okay, great. Like high five, whatever it is, like you, you have to, it has to be a positive note, you know, do it someplace, like have your designated area have your notes there. And that's where you are just running the ship. And then you can have more space for the rest of your relationship to 
flourish, but it's super, super effective. I have never worked with a couple who has done this, who hasn't said like, wow, that was very helpful. Yeah. Having boundaries and containers around things in general, I find to be a helpful thing. And I notice that when we don't do it, like it could be either one of us, we wake up in the morning and some little bit of tension and it can be about anything. It could be about work. It could be about a kid, whatever. And then we bring that tension into the space without, first of all, I don't find it helpful to bring those tensions into our bed and our bedroom. And that is sort of like, at least for me, that's almost like a time when they seep out and learning to not suppress, but actually talk to myself in a way that says, okay, this is weighing on you. You definitely want to talk about it, but how is bringing this up now going to affect the evening? It's important for me. Those containers can be really, really valuable. Yeah. I could not agree more with you. I went to a wedding about 15 years ago, a dear friend of mine got married and her parents were there. Her dad has since passed, but the parents were in their early 80s at the time and had been married for almost 60 years. And yeah, it was pretty remarkable in that the wife, my friend's mom said in this beautiful Scottish accent, so yes, the secret to a happy long-term marriage is that we spend three months apart every year. He was a He was a diplomat and lived in another country, literally three months of the year, and she chose to stay at home. And we're couples friends with who have two homes. They actually have a a place of work with a little apartment above it, and then they have their house. And one or two nights a week, he will stay at the apartment above work and she stays at the house. And you you never know what's going on in someone's relationship or in their home, but they seem to have a really thriving relationship that has air breathed into it. And we, my husband and I, we work together. We live in the country and we're finding that it's really important to remember that I'm me and he's him. And the relationship is the space between us, but that we each need breathing room and space. And I wonder if you could talk to that in a relationship and especially like couples, they have young kids. They're just all in it or more people work together now. What is the importance in how to create some of this breathing room? Well, first, I think that the dance between um, I need me and I need you is a dance that all couples have to play. They dance between togetherness and autonomy, but the dance looks different for every couple. So there are some couples who do great spending a tremendous amount of time together. There are other couples like, you know, my mom and my stepfather never lived together. And I happen to think that I love that setup of being in a partnerships, but not actually living with the person. And so I think that every couple really needs to find what works for them. I know friends and couples every few weeks, like, you know, husband does a boy trip, wife does a girl's trip. And so breathing room is so incredibly important, but not every couple requires, but that's one of the negotiations of marriage or something like marriage is how much autonomy, how much togetherness. And that can shift in different phases of your relationship as well. Absolutely. That can definitely shift over the many, many years. The important thing is that there is an acceptance and an agreement between both people. Where it gets tricky is when one person is wanting more that the other person is not. And that's when people start to get really tripped up. But yeah, I think that, you know, Time apart can be great, too much time apart, not so great. And it really just depends on the couple. Yeah, we do really well with a lot of time together. But what can happen easily is 
we'll start to get like nitpicky or, or bickery, as my daughter will say. We bicker. Oh, and that's when you need time out. Time out. Yes. Yes. It's almost like we didn't catch the signs before yeah. that happened because they're usually there. Yeah. And then we get in it and it's like, oh, actually, ding, ding, ding. We just really need to go to our own corners right now. We're, we're all over each other. I yeah, need a little space. Yeah. <laughs> a little space. So he need to like miss each other a little bit. Yeah, I need a little space. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's some beauty in missing each other. Oh, absolutely. I actually know couples too. Like there's so many ways people do marriage like or relationships. I know several couples where they don't actually sleep together. We, we sleep together pretty much every night. We love it. But yeah, I know couples that just sleep better sleeping apart. And I'm like- there's no one way. It's really interesting. There is no one way. And and the amount of sex that each couple has, it really just depends yes. on the couple. But it really, it really just depends. Again, what's important is that it's not one person wanting it to be different because that's when the stickiness happens. Yeah, that's really important. You know, so many of the holidays we have, and I'm doing air quotes here, the Hallmarky holidays. Mother's Day and Father's Day and Valentine's Day and even some of the big holidays, they really presuppose like, I've gotten so careful not just saying happy Mother's Day to people because some people have really sad relationships with their mothers or their fathers. And I want to, if you don't mind, you've written this, so this is not a secret publicly that you're, and this is an odd note to kind of like bring to the top of the hour, but I really want to talk about this because not everyone who's listening is looking for a relationship right now. Some people are in a fine relationship that they want to work with. Some people may be listening who are on the other side of a breakup or a divorce. And I want to honor that because, again, some of these Hallmark holidays are very inconsiderate to real life. And you've written that your divorce was the biggest wake-up call of your life. And I now, in my practice, I've been working with women as a midwife, as a physician for collectively for 40 years. And I often now, just happened just the other day, a woman said, I just, you know, I'm divorced. And I said, congratulations, right? Like, cause that's a big, big thing. And I honestly can say in all my years, when women get to be about two years out from the divorce, often that first two years is really hard, especially if there are kids, but not only if there are kids, but two years out, I've never met anyone I do know a couple of couples who ultimately got back together like years and years later, but I don't know anyone who said it wasn't actually healthier and better. So you've written that it was the biggest wake-up call of your life and that you have had a huge transformation on the other side. But for those who are who are in a breakup now, how did you get through that heartbreak? Because as much as being in love is an all-consuming feeling heartbreak, can just feel like your life is over and so hard. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that was big because my mom was, he left when my mom was dying. And so, and I had a miscarriage. So there was just a lot, there was a lot going on. He, yeah, he ended it. But I think that a lot of times when we feel heartbroken and rejected and abandoned, that there was a part of us that was unconsciously yearning for the freedom of the relationship ending, but way too afraid to confront Mm -hmm. that fear. I think that also people think, especially with divorce, the stigma that's attached to that, that somehow you failed. And look, you know, I can't sugarcoat it. Like there are, we do sometimes 
take relationships and we kind of screw it up. But everyone does that at some point, even if they end up staying in their in the marriage or the relationship. We screw up sometimes. And it's so much better to a divorce does really need a, a congratulations because I don't know anyone who's gotten a divorce where the months and or years leading up to the divorce were not absolutely stressful and harrowing. Yes. And so I had to really tap into the relief of knowing that like, I didn't have to deal with that anymore. But for me personally, the wake up call was, well, then if you're not focusing on that, guess you got to focus on you, which is not something that I was really doing. And so I had to build. I, I went into a very big building stage. That's where I built this new career was because of the divorce. And it is sort of, I think when there, when we go through a breakup and the kind of breakup that really brings us to our knees, what the, what life is wanting and is trying to impose onto us is change and transformation what I like to do when I help people through the heartbreak recovery journey, if you will, like a journey is before you, but there is a fork in the road and you can either go down the road where you are not going to wake up or you're going to go down the road where you're like, I'm going to take on this new journey because rejection really is redirection. But a lot of people don't take the path of redirection. They just stay on the same path, tethered to that story. I mean, of course, you have to go through the initial shock, a grieving stage, but it really is like, okay, so now what? Like, are you going to wake up or are you going to stay asleep and keep repeating the same pattern? And so first you have to go through the initial stage of just hurt and, you know, an attachment is being ripped from us and it feels like you're coming off uh, an addictive drug and it's very intense. But then I really think it's like, okay, this can be the most important chapter of your life. What are you going to do with it? And so that was me. I, I, I think that I was motivated by pain. So I, I would have done anything to not be in pain. So I just really focused. I was very lucky enough to be focused on things that really were inspiring me. And that's what saved me. And then it was like, okay, this is, I'm going to learn these lessons. I'm going to process. I'm going to figure out why this happened. I'm going to adopt the, the belief that life is something that is happening for you, not to you. And that I'm going to make this mean something. So that's what I did. And that's what I like to encourage people to do. Jillian, thank you for sharing so openly about that and having had a miscarriage. And your mom sounds like so much at one time, so much. So thank you. I have a question that I love to ask all my guests before we end. That is, if you could tell your younger self one thing, what age would she be and what would you tell her? Well, I'm going to steal this from someone um, that I saw recently by another Jillian, but spelled differently, the actress Jillian Anderson. 
I don't know if you're familiar with her. I am. And I saw this in a clip, probably in social media. And I was like, wow, now this is something that I would have just said to me. And I think I probably would have been around uh, 18 or 19. And these are her words. Follow your dreams, not your boyfriend's. (laughs) Brilliant. Brilliant. I think we could take a lesson from that truly in some ways at every stage of our lives. Sometimes I think in my marriage, how would I be different in my marriage if I were embracing myself as a single independent woman right now? And when I take that lens, then I show up more presently as a whole person, not as a whole person waiting and expecting and wanting, even after 40 years, it's like these things still happen. I love that. Follow your dreams, not your boyfriends. That's amazing. That could be like Mae West or Dolly Parton. And I love that it's Jillian Anderson. So fun. And that was a message that that I needed. Yes. That sounds like there are some more stories there, which I trust you'll be telling some of these in your book. Do we have a publicly announceable title yet? Not Yep, but soon. Ooh. People don't know how long we have to keep these things close to our chest when a book is in the works. But I know we'll be hearing about that. For folks who hop off and don't go back to the show notes where we'll have everything listed, what's the very best place they can find you? You just need to know my first and last name. So I'm most active on Instagram. And then I also have my website, uh, jillianturecki.com with courses and stuff. And then my podcast, Jillian on Love. Which is really fun. You know, when I love to listen to it is when I have some stretches on an airplane by myself and I'll download some episodes. It's like very comforting. And I love your philosophy. Oh, thank you for listening. Yes, of course. So Jillian, thank you so much for joining me and for sharing your love wisdom. And really like, (laughs) you know, that sounds so silly, but I mean, truly 20 years of working with couples and the wisdom you share Oh my God. Thank you. That was so much fun. Thank you everyone for listening. And I hope that you take this time to look inside and give yourself some really good love and be that love you're looking for too. I hope you enjoyed this episode, that it helped you to feel seen and heard, and perhaps that it even brought you some aha moments. Please share the love by sharing this with a friend or someone in your life who could benefit from the kinds of things we talk about in this space. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at dr.avivaram and go to avivaram.com to join the conversation about the show on my blog. While you're there, you can sign up for my free newsletter with tips on taking back your health. Be sure to leave a rating and a review for the podcast and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every week. Can't wait to see you next time.